the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do not, not only, and sorry, do it not only when their eye is on you, and to win their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for men since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favouritism. Let's pray. Father God, you have given us so many blessings already today. I ask you to keep us open to your word, deliver it to our ready ears, and please bless Di as she brings your word to us. Give her the endurance and refreshment she needs throughout the day and your wonderful peace knowing she has been true to you. In Christ's name, amen. Well, we're looking at the essential wardrobe and uh, talk one was really looking at Christ's work for us. All done by him. So the key verse was Zechariah 3. See, I have taken away your sin and I will put rich garments on you. It is Christ's work for us. What he has done, putting those rich garments on. When we talk to, we're looking at wearing our new clothes. That is Christ's work in us. What is now happening in us? And the key verse is Colossians 3 verse 12 Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, 
clothe yourselves with all those wonderful things. So point one on your outline. Who is the most beautiful woman in the world? You know, if you just sort of were doing a little scan of People magazine, all those sort of things. I mean, if you just ask one of your friends this week, currently, who would they say is the most beautiful woman in the world? Any ideas? Still, which is an old classic, hey, Isabella Rossellini, still up there. Angelina Jolie. Princess Mary? I'm looking for a teenage response. Something, you know, anyone brave enough? Or a youth leader? What do you reckon? Who, who, who would a teenage girl say is the most beautiful woman in the world? Scully Hansen. Scully Hansen. Oh, nice. Okay. Who is the most beautiful woman in the world? Well, when my kids were young, uh, I asked them this question one night at dinner. Who is the most beautiful woman in the world? And quick as a flash, my son, Josh, who was five at the time, said, Georgia Rose, one of the girls from preschool. (laughs) And my husband, James, said, any more? And he goes, Evie, one of the girls from preschool. (laughs) Ellie, one of the teachers. And Maureen, my fashion designer sister-in-law. And my husband, James, says, Josh, what about mum? And Josh says, nah. (laughs) He's a very honest kid. Well, in the West, we have, you could say really worldwide, we have a huge fascination with assessing beauty. So according to Pageants Australia, quote, there are many fabulous... Organisations in Australia, pageant organisations, all offering great opportunities for young people to gain confidence and self-esteem. That is what they claim about... Now, you would say in the States there's many more pageants than Australia, but even within Australia, that is what they say. You want your daughter to have confidence and self-esteem? Beauty pageants. Unfortunately, the reality is not quite the same. There was a study in the States that found, where there's a lot of beauty pageants... 26% of beauty pageant winners, this is the winners, had an eating disorder and almost 50% were trying to lose weight. In fact, there was a teenage girl admitted to a hospital in the States with tummy pains and they initially thought she was pregnant until they discovered she had tapeworms which her mother had given her to help her lose weight for a pageant. Of course, it's rubbish to think that you gain confidence and self-esteem by pageants. And yet that is sort of something that is even in Australia part of our culture. But I think more generally, in every generation, we have really icons of beauty. People we sort of pin up as, you know, they are just gorgeous. So have a look at this uh, People magazine. Now, these were the sort of the, 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 the most beautiful women of the, of the year. Now, obviously, left-hand side here, who have we got? Barry. So that was 2003, though I think she's still sort of around. Next one, who have we got? Beyonce, which was 2012. What about this one? Lapita? Next one? 2014. And um, she says that her secret is avocado oil. There we are. You can look like her too. 
Well, our society has their view of beauty and, and, and really, without thinking about it, it's really part of our thinking, I think, a lot of the time, even in the background. But I want to ask you, who is the most beautiful woman in the world according to God? He can see everyone. He can see this whole world. Who, who would he say is the most beautiful woman in the world? You see, today if we had the, T, the inaugural TWBC beauty pageant, and there was a, you know, here on the book, we'd clear off all those you know, silly books, and we had this big beauty, uh, you know, sort of crown, right? And um, God was the judge. Who would be our beauty queen? According to Josh, it wouldn't be me. Um, but would it be Kathy? Who would be our beauty queen? Well, yes, God would have a big crown, and he would call onto the stage me. And Kathy and every woman here. That, that is what we learned this morning. As far as God's concerned, when he looks down in this room, he doesn't see ugliness in the way that society views beauty and ugliness. You see, God assesses beauty in a completely different way to our world. A completely different way to People magazine. He, when God sort of talks about beauty and thinks about beauty, it's not about skin. It's about sin. And it's not about being famous. It is about being blameless. Very different category. So sin is what is ugly. You know, the world is telling us it's, you know, you've got to get your eyebrows right and get your weight right and all these things, but just ignoring when God looks at the world, it is sin. The way we don't love him, when we don't love others, the little things that we ignore, sin is what is ugly. And so what we saw in Zechariah 3 is the only way that you can become beautiful is to be washed in Christ's blood. doesn't matter what bone structure you've been born with. You know, some people here, you know, just genetically had gorgeous bone structure, but that is not what makes you beautiful if we start thinking about God. It's about sin, not skin. It's about being blameless, not famous. And so the question is, is that how we see ourselves? When we actually think about ourselves and the people around us, do we see, looking around this room, extraordinary beauty? I'm assuming most women here today are Christian. There might be some... um, Unbelievers here are just sort of, sort of trying to work things out, but most of us are Christian. So do we look around and see extraordinary beauty? Well, it's hard to see because our beauty is hidden. Point two. Now, there was a toad who lived in a pond. And uh, all day long, this toad just kept splashing in the mud. And people would pass by and say, look at that ugly toad in the mud. But one day, a prince appeared and kissed the toad. And instantly she became a beautiful princess. Have a look at Colossians 3, verse 1 to 4. Colossians 3, verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, 
and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. But when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, it's a very deep, really, but important way of thinking about our Christian life. When we become a Christian, it's all about our life being profoundly linked to Christ. Colossians are saying, you, you sort of got to understand what happened to Christ. That is what's happened to you. So it says, you know, we would say, well, Christ died and then he rose. No, no, this is saying, you died. It says, we died with Christ. It says, we were raised with Christ. And now we are hidden with Christ until Christ appears. Spiritually, that is our story. On that that day on the cross, when he died, we died. That is our sin was paid for. And when he rose to life, we rose to life. And now we're sort of hidden. Ephesians says you, you you have this life in the spiritual realm. We are hidden with Christ until he appears. That is his second coming. The princess was hidden until the prince appeared. In Revelation 19, the bride is hidden, the church, until the groom appears. God's people, there's a sense we're hidden now, until Christ appears. Now that is why the world cannot see who is beautiful from God's perspective. You know, if someone sort of goes, parks out there in the car park today, or sort of drives past, as we're all getting out of the car this morning, they do not say, those women are beautiful. There must be a sort of convention of supermodels happening in, in the branch this morning. Like, there is no way anyone in the world looks at us and thinks, if anything, they think we're daggy. We're sort of... The world cannot see who is beautiful. Because you cannot see with your eyes that sin has been washed away. You cannot see with your eyes that Satan cannot accuse you. You cannot see with your eyes that... We can relate to God with absolute confidence. Those things are true, absolutely true, but they are hidden. Now what is sad is when we Christians forget who is beautiful. When we start assessing beauty and the way we relate to people according to People magazine rather than God. So when we see a picture of um, Halle Berry... You know, we see someone who's beautiful and, come on, what, what do we do? We think, wow, imagine if I look like her. I mean, you know, you sort of think, you see someone and you think, especially as you age, you think, wow, imagine if, you know, I, I... But do we pray for her? As far as I know, she's not a Christian. Do we actually pray in that whole supermodel world? I, I'm doubting there's many Christians. Is our response to seeing someone beautiful envy, even just a little bit? Or is it prayer? Because no matter what bone structure she's been born with, she needs Christ to be beautiful. And actually, if you're born with that beautiful bone structure, the skin, whatever, you can actually deceptively think that's what life's about and not realise it's all about Christ. When talking to people, if we dig deep in our heart, do we ever discriminate on the basis of looks? Do we ever treat someone just a little bit different if they're size 8 or size 28? If they're, do we ever just, if we're honest, slightly discriminate on the basis of looks? 
I heard about a Christian woman who ran a Nutramedics party. And she invited uh, all her colleagues from work. She invited a couple of her uh, neighbours that she knew from her street. And she invited everyone from her Bible study group except for three people. You know, they just wouldn't quite have fitted in with the rest of the group. You, yeah, you might not do it as dramatically as that. But still, when we go to church on Sundays, there's sort of women that, you know, oh, these people I like, I don't like. And sometimes that sort of woman maybe has got her own burdens. Or Is there ways that we discriminate? It's very sad when we, and so unfortunately natural in this world, when we assess beauty like People magazine rather than God. Now, our beauty, the Zechariah sort of perfect clothes, the rich garments, is hidden until Christ appears. However, we should start seeing glimpses of those new clothes. And so that brings us to point three on our outline. Beautiful people, that is the people that God has made us, should wear love. You see, all day long the frog was splashing in the mud. It's getting muddy, getting dirty, enjoying it. But the question is, what if that little frog knew she was the princess? What if she knew that a, her prince was coming to kiss her? Would she keep just splashing in the mud or would she start acting like the princess? Well, Colossians 3 says to us that now start acting like the princess. That is, God has done this work and it won't be revealed until Christ appears, but now start acting like the princess. It says in 3 verse 12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Consciously clothe yourself. That is, consciously make these choices to clothe yourself with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Now, you can grow the list. This is not an exclusive list as if somehow, okay, I've just got one, two, three, I've got to get those five. No, 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 it's like trying to capture, if you really are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved... What are the sort of things that should characterise us? What are the conscious things we should make decisions about? Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Now, the day you become a Christian, it's like a uh, delivery van pulls up outside your house. Now, my, my kids are always, these days, crumbs. They're always getting clothes online. I don't even know about it sometimes. I think they know my PayPal password. But anyway, you know... and. They're freaky fast. Have you realised you can order something on surf or whatever it is, and I don't know, it's there next morning. It's just, anyway, crazy. But, okay, this van pulls up, right? And this big burly guy comes to your front door with a huge amount of parcels. Now, you're freaking out a bit because, ooh, am I, who's gonna, are these all my kids and I'm going to have to pay for them? But no, no, no. Burly guy comes to you, massive amount of parcels. This is the day you become a Christian. And you rip one of the parcels open... And it's a beautiful dress. It's perfect. Your colour, your... And then you rip another one open and it's these incredible pants and another one and it's a jacket. And in fact, every parcel has amazing clothes and they all match. How do they match? 
Well, there's a note from God within there, and it says, you now belong to me, you are my chosen person, holy and dearly loved, so start dressing like it. This is clothes. God has given you this rich garment. He says, now start dressing like my person. Now, why do they all match? Let's have a look. Colossians 3 verse 12. What is the thing that draws all these clothes together? 3 verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience, Bear with one another and forgive one another if anyone has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love because it binds them all together in perfect unity. God has given us a a new wardrobe, an incredible new beautiful wardrobe. And all the clothes match because what draws them all together is love. Any of those things, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, they are all ways to wear love. That is what we're called to, to love the Lord our God with all our heart and to love our neighbour as ourself. Love is what distinguishes. By this you'll know you're my disciples. Love. That is what, as a Christian fellowship, we need to wear. Compassion, forgiveness, they are all ways to wear love. Now, given this beautiful wardrobe, that is what the Spirit gives us. That is what he, we talk about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians, that is what he is working out in us is love in all these different ways. But the question is, if you know, I become a Christian and, and God gives me this new wardrobe, the Spirit is working these things, why don't we always wear love? You know, when I'm getting dressed this morning, why I'm so I'm sort of thinking about this, but why why am I not consciously thinking about wearing love? Well, we have two struggles, point four. The first struggle is with sin, which is described in Colossians 3, verse 5. It says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must consciously rid yourself of all such things, like anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self, your old clothes, with its practices. You see, we have familiar, comfy old clothes. Do you have something that, you know, the reality is it's old and dodgy, but it's nice and comfy and 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 that is like sin. It feels comfy. Anger sometimes just feels good. I want to feel angry and I don't want someone telling me not to be angry. It just... And lies come in handy. I don't really want to get rid of these things, but it says, rid yourself of these things. That is, consciously throw them out. You've taken off that old self. Now, I think that raises two questions for us. Question one, does the struggle get easier? 
you know, the things in our heart, just, just lies and anger, just all the... As we get older, do we sin less? What is maturity like as a Christian? Is it, as we get older, do we sin less? Well, I think the answer is no, that the, the old clothes, that old wardrobe remains until Christ appears. You see, some of us will struggle with a particular sin every day of our life. It might be gossip, it might be envy, it could be it's a sort of a distorted sexuality, like these things that we can struggle with every day of our life and different seasons of life will present different seasons of sin, different struggles with sin. You know, when I was young, if you'd said, I, you know, anger, I have a problem with anger, I'd say, no, I had a pretty sweet life. I had a Christian family. You know, there's hard stuff that happened in my past. Two of my siblings died. But generally, anger was not something that probably characterised me as a young adult. I would have thought, yeah, I've got that one, got that one under wraps. That's thrown away. It's never coming out again. But it hadn't been tested. Three young kids under five. Whoa, where's that come from? You know, and we've got to be very careful that we understand different ones of us are at different seasons of life and different struggles with sin. When life is hard, you can feel like you don't have the energy to throw off sin. So deep grief can lead to bitterness. And disappointment can lead to jealousy. And sort of chronic sickness, you just feel so impatient and you see, turning on the different season of life, different struggles with sin. And you know when life is easier? Well, you don't even notice sin. <laughs> Prosperity just breeds pride and you think somehow you roll on as if it's not even happening. And so we need to tread very carefully with assessing Christian growth. Too quick to say that there's a rightness in assessing growth. Like if we're prese- you know, asking someone to be a Bible study leader, we need to think about their maturity and whether they are not only professing the Christian faith but living it. This, it is right, and yet we've got to be very careful. We don't quickly say, she's godly, she's not very godly. Because godliness is not about middle-class politeness. If you come from generations of, Christ, of Christian family, you are so privileged, and you probably, there's some parts of your life where you just sort of do the right thing just because you've seen your mum, your grandma, and it's just part of your life. But if you're new... <laughs> You don't have Christian parents. You've had to learn the Christian life. Far out, my husband, when he became a Christian, he said his language was gutter, right? And he had to consciously learn it. When I came from a Christian family, my, my, I was, you know, my parents were Christian, not my grandparents, but like, I didn't really swear much growing up. I didn't have to make a conscious choice to change that, but James had to. So we've got to be very careful. You know, godliness is about struggling with sin. It's not middle class, but, you know, it's not that, oh, I don't have much sin, you know. It's about struggling with your sin. And so if there's someone in your Bible study group who can be a bit harsh, you know, sometimes she just says stuff and everyone goes, oh, you know. But if she's struggling with that, slowly making progress, then that woman is to be honoured, not avoided. Whatever it is, she may be, that might be something that is a really hard struggle for her. And we've just got to be careful, you know, if I don't have that same struggle, then I don't think, well, you know, look at me, and accidentally judge someone who actually needs our encouragement, not our judgment. I know a wonderful uh, Christian man, um, older guy, and um, almost deaf. And I remember this conversation with him, and I said, um, 
Bob, you know, it must be great getting older as a Christian because uh, you sin less. And he goes, uh, no, Diana. And I thought, oh, he's deaf, he hasn't heard me. You know, it must be wonderful, you know, you know, because, you know, it's just easier as a Christian as you get older. And he said, no, Diana, you don't sin less, you struggle more. That is what maturity is. It's seeing those, you know, seeing those comfy old clothes and saying, even saying to a Christian friend, what, what sort of stuff do you think that I, I don't actually act in love? And consciously making that choice. Throw out those comfy old clothes and keep putting on love. So firstly, our struggle. Does the struggle get easier? No, but we struggle more. Secondly, do we see progress in the struggle? So if it continues that we've just got to keep making these choices as a Christian, do we see progress? Well, I think, yes, we should. There should be ways that if someone, you know, you knew someone five years ago in a Bible study group and now they meet you now, there should be ways that you can testify that God has changed you. Not that you somehow, you know, got anger under wraps, but there are ways where that would have been your response, but now I'm trying to deal with that differently. We should see old clothes, that's unfortunately the case, but also new clothes. And it all comes down to continuing to meditate, Zechariah 3, on what God has done for us. That is, as we grasp that as far as God concerned, we are pure and blameless, that's how he sees us, that should motivate us to strive to be pure and blameless. And as we understand we are dearly loved, like his son died for us, that's how dearly loved we are, then we should dearly love. So there's a connection between understanding what Christ has done for you and then your development as a Christian. It's not sort of two things. That happened and then now I've got got my list of rules to do as a Christian. Not at all. He has so dearly loved us. And so that's what makes me want to dearly love. It's a continual struggle to throw out sin and to wear love. It doesn't get easier, but we should see progress. Okay, that's our first struggle, sin. The old clothes, they're just there. But I think our second struggle is with vanity. Uh, you know, if this was a talk, um, if a guy was doing this talk, and I'm not sure they would actually do this section, though, with the whole metrosexual development, maybe they would increasingly do this section. But anyway, it's interesting. The Bible has special warnings just to us, to women. And two different authors almost say the same thing. Have a look at 1 Timothy 2. It says... I want women to dress modestly, with decency and propriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds, appropriate for women who profess to worship God. Or 1 Peter 3, same in different words. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewellery and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Now, basically, if we summarise these two passages, what it's saying is that Christian women should look sloppy at work and never wear (laughs) jewellery. Well, I don't think that's what it's saying. It is saying that love, that is the inner self, the good deeds, is more important than how we look. I'm going to explore this a little bit more after lunch when we talk about Miley Cyrus, but just simply here, love is more important than how we look. That is the inside self, the inside clothes, 
far outstrip the outside clothes. But we're going to see this afternoon that love determines how you look. So there's more to the story, but for now, love, the good deeds, the unfading beauty is what is being um, said to us here. But I want to say to you that even though you might say, oh, yeah, of course that's the case, it's the inside that matters, the reality is in our society the beauty bar keeps being raised higher and so I think we get caught up in thinking that the look, yes, we can get sort of caught up in it more than we realise. You know, I I, uh, read an interview with a model who said, quote, let me say that every cover of every magazine I've ever done has been airbrushed to death. No woman should walk around thinking that's what they should be. But the reality is we do. (laughs) Like as the bar keeps being raised, we think in little ways or big ways that we've sort of got to keep up. And sadly, some churches get it wrong. You can end up thinking that if someone's going to be up front at church playing drums, keyboard, they've got to look. Well, they're the beautiful people of church. I know churches have made conscious decisions that who's up front have to be a certain look. And the reality is that that sort of church ultimately will breed an eating disorder rather than love. Well, point five in our outline, how do we keep wearing love? We do have this struggle, the struggle with just our old clothes and sin, and I think how just womanly struggle with vanity. Like, how how do we keep then wearing love? And let me say um, three things here. Firstly... We need to use the best mirror. Now, can you imagine from now till next Saturday, so a whole week, not looking in the mirror at home once? Or bathrooms, anywhere. Okay, no, no, no mirror looking, right? For a whole week. Now, you might say that would be a relief, but reality, it's sort of a bit unnerving. Like what if there's a poppy seed or massive pimple or just something that you haven't noticed for a whole week? Yeah? Okay. What if you don't open your Bible now from now till next Saturday? Is that unnerving or just what happens? Well, James says that the Bible is our mirror. And if you don't look into the word, you do not see yourself properly. You see, the bathroom mirror just shows up the toad. You think about improving the outside, making little changes like plucking eyebrows and losing weight. And that's what the mirror shows up, the outside. But the word, the Bible shows up the princess who's hidden with Christ. It actually shows up our reality in God. And so you think about improving the inside and making deep, hard changes like being more generous and forgiveness. It is the word that is our mirror and will actually show up my sin and encourage me on in godliness. So how much time do we spend in the bathroom or the Bible? The Bible, that is where we're taught to wear love. Secondly, seek the best advice. You see, I think as women, we're, I mean, we're good at sort of sharing advice, you know, bargain down here at this shop or, you know, like, you know, iTunes, you know, there's this sort of free songs now available and, you know, it goes viral and we all sort of share, we're good at that sort of sharing and you can end up with friends telling you lots, you know, chips for, your, for you know, renovating your kitchen and, you know, he, this, this hairdress is fantastic. And, but, you know, the best friend is the one who encourages you on to love and good deeds. You know, it's the friend, the the best friend is not the one who says as you walk into church, oh, I really like your shirt, although that's sort of encouraging. It's the friend who actually says to you, 
I think it's fantastic that you always, um, you know, you're patient with that woman at church who just always wants to tell you her story. And I know it's sort of tiring, but I see you having that conversation. Or it's the best one who actually says, you know how you just snapped at that person in group or just said something a little bit sarcastic? Do you think maybe that wasn't the right way to go? So that's the best friend. And you want to cherish those friends. If you have a friend who's just really honest with you in a really helpful way, then write her a message this week, even radically, a letter rather than a text like, wow, just something that says, I really appreciate that in, that, the way you... And be that sort of friend. Just sort of, you know, at work, would people think that you're more concerned with the outside or the inside? What does our language and our encouragement reveal about that? Finally, invest in the best clothes. So uh, my fashion designer, uh, sister-in-law, loves clothes. Like, she loves fabric. I just don't get it. But anyway, you know, like, it's... it's uh, but I appreciate it in her. She loves fabric and design. And she just... I'm going to talk about her this afternoon. But she's... She always looks gorgeous in a really simple sort of beautiful way. And she likes music and art and cut. And, and there is nothing wrong with enjoying outside clothes. Yeah? But you've got to see them in perspective. This stuff... It's going to be destroyed like everything else in this world. 2 Peter 3 says, since everything will be destroyed, live godly and holy lives as you wait for Christ to return. So next time your favourite shirt gets a stain, praise God. It's a great reminder that none of that lasts, but love does into eternity. Point six on your outline, the great fashion parade. Have you ever been in a fashion parade? I have to say I've never been discovered. Perhaps you have been. But, <laughs> but there's a day coming soon when all of God's people will be in the great fashion parade. That is the day when God will proudly parade his people for the universe to see. Everyone will see what Christ's blood has achieved. We will no longer be hidden. We will no longer be struggling with sin. We will no longer struggle with vanity. We will be wearing the perfect clothes. When Christ appears, we will appear with him in glory. The prince will return for his princess and kiss the toad goodbye. The groom will come back for his bride. That is where our Bible finishes, Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, that is God's people, coming down out of heaven from God, dressed as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. On that day, you will meet your groom, Christ, the one who died for you. And so now clothe yourself with your new clothes. As you wake up in the morning, don't just think about, you know, what colour shirt today, but think about wearing love because that is the clothes that matter. Let's pray. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your work for us on the cross. 
that everything was done by Christ when he died for us. And we thank you now for the work of your spirit in us, that you keep working out these wonderful things that as we uh, keep getting rid of the old self and putting on the new self, we start to see glimpses of those clothes. Help us to be women who love love, not only in ourselves but in those around us. Help us to be women who keep working out compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and that are willing to forgive even those who have hurt us very much. Please let us be women who wear love. Amen.